Welcome to Perspectives, a podcast by the Public Health Review at the University of Minnesota. Today, we are focusing on public health leadership, and we are joined by a fantastic guest. Claire Chang's passion is supporting healthy families and raising resilient children in the context of their culture. She is a co-chair of Minnesota's Cultural Dynamics Training Law and is a mentor to BIPOC early childhood professionals. She is also a member of the National Association for the Education of Young Children Governing Board and the chair of the Accreditation Council. Additionally, she serves on boards and committees including Hope Community, Coalition of Asian American Leaders, and is a trustee of the Ramsey County Public Libraries. Claire is a self-proclaimed nonprofit capacity-building geek who has worked in philanthropy for over 20 years, supporting nonprofits to be impactful and sustainable. Please welcome Senior Program Officer at Blue Cross Blue Shield of Minnesota Foundation, Claire Chang. My name is Claire Chang, and I was born and raised in Honolulu, nestled in my ohana, my family. We have a big and diverse family. On my mother's side, we are all Hawaiian. Well, we're Hawaiian and so much more. We are Hawaiian and Chinese. We are Hawaiian and Filipino. We are Hawaiian and Japanese. On my father's side, we are Chinese and Hawaiian. We are Chinese and Japanese. And we are Chinese and Haole, otherwise known as Caucasian or white. Growing up, our daily lives were a constant reflection of a perfect blend of cultures and the wisdom of all our elders. We raised fruits and vegetables, papayas, mangoes, oranges, limes, pomelo, winter squash, okra, onions, chives, tomatoes, long beans, and more. We harvested fish, squid, and seaweed from the ocean. Our parents, elders, aunties, and uncles showed us how to prepare these gifts of the land and sea in ways that nurtured body and spirit. We also got fresh eggs from the Nakamuras. As a bonus, they gave us the chicken manure for our garden. When we were sick, we were surrounded by an army of remedies from all our cultures and elders, as well as Western doctors too. When we got sick, we did not follow the brat's diet that was prescribed by Howley doctors. Instead, our families made a big batch of juk, otherwise known as congee. You got a sore stomach? Then let's drive to Kailua to have Mrs. Pumaikai lomi or massage your stomach really good, then band your stomach tightly. Got a sore throat? Hot tea and dry lemon peel? No, not wet lemon peel. That's more like candy. Are you recovering from childbirth? Ah, then it was time to eat pickled pig feet for a week and don't even think about leaving the house for a month. When I was 18, I moved to the Midwest for college. It was the late 70s. This was an abrupt end to so much of what had defined the first 18 years of my life. Gone was the circle of security and comfort of my big extended ohana. Gone were the familiar comfort foods for daily living as well as for healing. 
gone was fresh caught fish and homegrown foods. Now when I got sick, I didn't really have options beyond the Howley doctors, the Western medical models, the college clinic, and prescriptions and over-the-counter pills. Upon graduation, armed with my degree in early childhood development, I began working with families in Minnesota. Many of the families were Black, Indigenous, and people of color, or BIPOC families, as we say now. It was also common for me to work with white parents who were raising adopted BIPOC children. Many of them were Korean and Chinese adoptees. During this time in Minnesota, immigrant and refugee communities were also growing quickly with Latinos and South Asian and Southeast Asian folks from many countries who began adding to the richness of Minnesota's landscape. My own children arrived in the late 80s, contributing to my ongoing thinking about culture and its importance. My own children were adding to the changing demographics of Minnesota. My college studies and life experiences taught me a few things. Culture defines. Culture defines our lives. Culture gives meaning to the roles of adults, children, and genders. Culture defines what respect does and does not look like. Culture helps us to understand and make sense of conflict and guides us in how we resolve conflict. There is nothing we do with young children that is not tied to culture. So many children enter childcare as infants and toddlers. Many children spend as much and sometimes more time with caregivers than they do with their own families. Deep in my soul, I know that every child deserves to grow up with their parents and family as their first and lifelong teachers and advocates. Children do best when their families are supported in nurturing them. Yet too often, how families nurture children can be in stark contrast to the systems that their children encounter. What could I do to help address this? My opportunity came in the late 1980s as a group of BIPOC and white collaborators joined forces with funding from the Kellogg Foundation to form the Culturally Relevant Anti-Bias Leadership Training Project. The project was to call attention to and take action on making early childhood a more welcoming and accountable profession. As early childhood professionals professionals committed to standing with parents and families as the first and lifelong teachers and advocates of their children, we were all committed. Together we met to have tough conversations about racism and implicit bias and its impact on children, families, and communities. We struggled with reckoning our good intentions, savior behaviors, and trusting in the wisdom and perspective of each other. We learned how we see each of us had been complicit in unintentionally harming children and creating dissonance between what we were taught in our college programs and honoring the cultural ways of being and the cultural meaning of the children entrusted to our care. This work became the foundation of the next generation of early childhood equity advocacy in Minnesota. Leaders from the culturally relevant anti-bias leadership cohort 
went on to be leaders in the Minnesota Department of Human Services, the Minnesota Department of Education, child care resource and referral agencies, foundations, and higher education. Together we worked on drafting and passing legislation, the Minnesota Cultural Dynamics Training Law. This legislation requires licensed caregivers to be trained in order to have an understanding of the importance of awareness of cultural differences and in the abilities of children, understanding the importance of cultural differences and similarities when working with children and families, developing skills to help children develop unbiased attitudes about cultural differences as well as abilities, and developing skills in culturally appropriate caregiving. The bottom line is how do we as professionals do everything with an, our ability to invest in healthy children's identity development. My journey to ensure children's culture and families are honored and supported in early childhood settings advanced to the national level in my work with the National Association for the Education of Young Children, also known as NACI. It started for me by being welcomed by the LGBT caucus after my session, Lesbian Barbies Oh My, was called out by local press at a national conference. The unwavering support of these queer early childhood leaders helped me to launch into national leadership culminating with my election to the NAEYC governing board at a time when NAEYC was determined to become a high performing inclusive organization. I was then appointed to co-chairing its strategic planning process and changing the ethical code of conduct to include core values of recognizing children are best understood and supported in the context of family, culture, community, and society. And also to respect diversity in children, families, and colleagues. These values were then backed up with guiding principles such as to ensure each child's culture, language, ethnicity, and family structures are recognized and valued in programs, and to provide children with experiences in languages that they know. Later, as the chair of NAEYC's Accreditation Council, standards were fortified to expand the definition of families to be more inclusive of all kinds of families and nurturing all families to be advocates for their children. The importance of family and culture were integrated into NAEYC's accreditation criteria throughout, including assessment of children, which now reads, programs will use a variety of assessment tools that are sensitive to and informed by family culture, experiences, children's abilities and disabilities, and home language that is meaningful and accurate and are used in settings that are familiar to children. Eventually, I moved into philanthropy and the fire in my belly for seeing and addressing racism continued. I was fortunate to join the staff while the foundation was in the process of listening to geographic and cultural communities. Not only did the foundation listen, it took action, and together with Peggy McIntosh and the leadership of Rosette Ship Chandler, we created two articles and conversation guides. Thousands of people engaged in dialogues. The first, White Privilege and Account to Spend, and the second, White People Facing Race, Uncovering the Myths that Keep Racism in Place. In 2009, we co-created the Facing Race Awards that recognized and celebrated champions of anti-racism in Minnesota. 
and that award continues today. Culture is centering. Culture is us. Culture is healing. Culture sustains individuals, families, and communities. When we support families and communities in affirming culture, we invest in their individual and collective health. This is also known as investing in public health. That's my story, and now it's your turn. What are you passionate about? Reflect on this, because it matters. And once you figure this out, let it light your way and guide your feet as you take steps toward reimagining and reinventing public health. You matter in the journey of closing gaps in public health. Good luck to you in the journey. A big thank you to Claire Chang for sharing her story and the inspiration for the future leaders in public health. Hey listeners, do you have work that you want to publish? Submit it to the Public Health Review. We accept submissions on a rolling basis and accept research articles, op-eds, issue briefs, and more. We work with first-time authors and are here to help you through the submission process. Check out our website for more information and instructions for how to submit. Thank you for listening to Perspectives. Send us your thoughts on Twitter at PubHealthReview and keep your ears out for new episodes coming soon. Music